0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, his Star Trek will go on forever.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show that's putting the humanities back into science fiction. I am Gep and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we're doing something a little bit different because, as anyone who's been listening to this show knows, if you just found this episode, go back and listen to another one because this probably isn't a good one to start with.
0: <laughs> because we're kind of at the uh, the end of some things before we start something new.
1: Yeah, we just finished all of Star Trek: The Original Series. All of it. All something mm, 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 episodes. <laughs>
0: Like like 79, was it? Or I forget the exact name. Yeah, number.
1: I have pulled up the, the page. I was hoping that it would say, Wikipedia is, has failed me. Oh, wait, 79 episodes. There we go.
0: Hey, I was right. Cool. <laughs> I, I win the internet, <laughs> yeah. right?
1: I will be honest. I feel lost because we usually just have, like, we do the synopsis, and then we talk about the things, but this is just what we thought of the series as a whole.
0: So... I guess the question is, what did we think of the series as a whole? <laughs>
1: See, this so this is the very first time that I, a very long-term Star Trek fan, have actually sat down and watched all of original series.
0: And um, yeah, I, I think I've until this watch through, I've not had not seen every single episode. And uh, of those that I had seen previously, it'd been so many so many years. It's you know might as well just be a fresh start. And anyway,
1: yeah, I'd only seen a handful. And the movies. I think the thing that really, really struck me is just how weirdly inconsistent this show is.
0: There's, uh, you know, like some weeks, some folks are sort of of this sort of characterization. Other weeks of this characterization. But this is also kind of a problem that shows up in later Star Trek as well. Even like all the way through the TNG era and uh, all that. And it's like, all right, I guess this is just kind of a side effect maybe of serialized writing maybe
1: maybe it wasn't quite as much later like the, if you look at tng which we're going to soon ish uh you know the first in the first season they don't know what they're doing yet but after the second season they you basically know what every character's going to do Indeed.
0: you kind of get the, uh, the the general They plot.
1: usually don't get a you don't usually get that out of left field thing like you do it like this you don't even See the thing is, there were certain episodes on other shows where, like, every now and then, you like you have a weird episode, and you go like, "Oh, that that character's not acting the way that they normally do. That's weird." Mm-hmm. This show, every episode, no one's acting the way they normally do because there's no normal way they act.
0: Yeah, it's just never pinned down quite right. Well, maybe they're just all, every single episode's in a parallel universe. Hmm. <laughs> you know, th- so throw ca- all canon in the in the garbage and we're fine.
1: <laughs> so it's just so strange that it like it doesn't have a consistent tone particularly which is fine they're trying different things in most episodes. It doesn't have consistent like writing because there's there's like four or five particularly good episodes and they're the ones that anyone's ever heard of.
0: And those tend to be from like the kickass writers and then they eventually kind of yeah. start vanishing from the show.
1: And that's about it. They don't have good... Like, the characters are inconsistent. The world seems wildly inconsistent. The way anything functions is wildly inconsistent, which I don't care that much about. Like, you don't have to base everything on some sort of hard research science stuff, but when you're pulling random things that the ship can do out of the air every episode it becomes a little difficult to get invested in what's going on so
0: uh we're gonna tech tech our way out of here and presto we've survived hooray kind of makes that whole uh you know what what was the right term um Captain help me here i'm I'm dying
1: (laughs) i'm not sure what you're trying to get at
0: the the weight the uh the 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 um, the stakes. There we go. The stakes just yeah, suddenly go. aren't really there ever because you have this sort of uh, you know terrible pattern of uh, yeah we'll we'll figure it out and then we'll get back to the status quo again next you know this, you know next week and everything will be fine, uh, which is a, kind of a problem in a lot of Star Trek again all the way through at least the uh, you know the TNG era, uh, especially in like Voyager where you have like. All right. So last week, our half the ship was blown up, and uh, a bunch of people died. And then next week, well, everything's fine. There's no damage anywhere on the ship, and no one's really thinking about all the people that just died. So, uh, hooray! <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the thing with, especially since it was episodic, you run into that problem. But I think the main difference with like, you know, eighties uh, to 90s star trek is the uh it's a drama series more than it's trying to be like hard sci-fi or any other stuff so it's way more about the character interactions and what they're doing with each other and how they're figuring out problems and whether they should figure out a problem most of the time on something like voyager or next gen they either like just need to buy enough time to figure out the problem or they already know the solution to the problem and the problem is whether or not it's morally right to do the solution to the problem
0: and uh i will say that they in the original series here they do try to have a lot of character sort of stuff coming in here but with that lack of consistency it kind of undoes itself every once in a while and it's like this is you had something going good there for a while and then suddenly ah uh, and so I guess the the character arcs for what they are in the series are pretty weak, uh, because you know they're, cause they because they wanted to be a bit more on the the sci-fi end of things, but were much better at the character stuff, and so didn't do either one super well.
1: Yeah, this is like this is a monster of the week show with no monsters.
0: Yep. Occasionally monsters.
1: Sometimes monsters, but everyone describes it as like a. What crazy thing are they going to run into this time? But they don't run into anything that crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, this isn't farscape.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's really difficult for me to know because I'm not I didn't grow up with TV of this era. I know that Star Trek is basically a massive departure from how other television of the era was or even functioned. So I can't really compare it like if this may have been just like oh my god look at that thing this is amazing compared to everything else on tv at the time i think it does wind up with kind of the um aliens problem like i've heard people talk about this like if you go back now and you haven't seen aliens the movie and you watch aliens it feels really cookie cutter and because Everything that came out after it copied it so yeah. much
0: <laughs> the uh, it's been hurt by its own success mm. and again, yeah.
1: <laughs> so we might be running into that kind of problem coming at it from such a later lens that any innovative thing that it actually did is like so rote standard to modern audiences that you just like can't even notice it
0: and especially since you know Star Trek has continued, there has been numerous Star Trek series after that where they basically Start with the basic premise and copy it over, and, uh, and it's like well, you know, each time we kind of need to win over the previous fans, so we're going to have something that's very Star Trekky about you know from the previous generation of Star Trek, and so you get sort of elements that kind of propagate through, and so this you know a lot of the stuff that would you know seem you know new and fresh for the '60s we're already super used to, yeah.
1: But you mentioned characters, so I think if we're going to talk about the original series, you have to talk about the big three, mm-hmm. who supposedly their amazing character interactions are what everyone loves about this show.
0: You're talking about Scotty, Sulu, and Chapel, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> and they're like the emotional heart of the show, <laughs> and their interactions together.
0: <laughs> no, we're actually talking about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy.
1: <laughs> now, now you have me think. I can't remember if. They're definitely never all three on screen at the same time. I'm trying to remember if Chapel was ever in the room with Scotty.
0: I'm pretty sure she was kind of like maybe background a couple of times when Scotty was in you know sickbay, but that's kind of about it.
1: Yeah. I just can't remember if she was there in the lights of Zetar or well, not.
0: Well, I guess we could pause the recording and check that out, but I don't really feel like it. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs>
1: but why? So, yeah, you have the you have the brotastic trio Mm -hmm. Kirk, McCoy, and Spock. I don't understand what their dynamic is supposed to be because it does change a lot. I guess you're supposed to have like the two old friends. The old doctor who's like telling the young friend captain advice. He almost never goes to him for advice except maybe once. And like it's it's hard to tell how much older than him he's supposed to be. I'm going
0: to say at least a decade. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, i guess more often mccoy comes to kirk and says hey you done screwing up uh cut it out uh,
1: yeah and then kirk goes shut up i'm the captain screw you
0: And then he might think about it he might not depends on the episode
1: yeah
0: and you got uh kirk and uh, spock over there and uh kirk's like i need information and uh, tell me how to fix the problem of the week
1: yeah they're supposed to just sort of be the kirk's completely led by emotion and spock's not mm-hmm. but it's very very the show really cannot decide episode to episode or even often in the same episode w- whether emotion is good or not yeah,
0: it's it's it hymns and halls, and it kind of comes down to again probably what the writer's feeling like that day which is frustrating honestly because uh, mm-hmm. yeah if you're trying to make a point for one or the other then okay that's fine but if you're trying to have a kind of both ways you just kind of i don't know annoy the 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 viewer for after a while though i guess there is maybe something to be said about you know this being a struggle that is something that we as people are having to face and it's just never going to be resolved i guess that's maybe something to take out of it
1: but they're not exactly doing any of the things they've never done this well there was there was a line in an episode of Voyager that I remember that I I really wish they'd done something with the idea because you have Captain Janeway talking to Tuvok and he says something about how it's only logical and she says that's the great thing about logic you can use it to justify anything
0: <laughs> To a certain degree, yeah. Depends on uh, what you set up as your initial, uh, initial premises and uh, what sort of decisions you want to make as far as progressing forward in the logical structures and so on and so forth. And so you can kind of generate a, lot, a logical pathway that gets you to where you want to be, kind of depending on what your alternative mo- uh, motivations are. And so to declare that you know all logic will lead to a singular truth at all times is a little ridiculous because that's not how people mm-hmm. actually, including Vulcan
1: yeah the Vulcans never do that, and I do think that the i don't know I was very disappointed in how they're supposed to be all friends and buddy buddy and actually, I had seen all of the original Star Trek movies long before I saw any of the show because when I was growing up, it was just easier to find the movies
0: it's Like, oh, well, some of them are like in theaters right now, so let's go watch it or you mm-hmm. know they're coming out on on VHS tape and things like that because so this is. We're old, you see, and uh, this is before things like DVDs were even a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I, my mom was a was a Trek fan. She's the one who got me into it originally. So she had the movies on tape. But you know, back then, if you wanted to have, they didn't even offer most full series on VHS tape. And it's, it- and if you wanted them, they were ridiculously expensive. Only one tape could only hold like two to three episodes, depending.
0: And so basically you now have to fill up an entire shelf's worth of space in your home with like, you know, like $500 worth of videotape. And there's your series.
1: <laughs> yeah. So series weren't really a thing back then.
0: No, I, I have, I think, seen a couple full uh, shelves like that now that I think about it. Hmm. <laughs> but, you Yeah. Know. Not, not, so, not usually owned by individuals.
1: <laughs> so coming into this, I was used to the movies. And the movies, as we'll get into later, they do have a somewhat mildly antagonistic friend relationship. Mm-hmm. They don't in the show. Like, that they all hate each other.
0: To varying degrees, yes. Especially uh, you know, the, the, the McCoy-Spock uh, interaction.
1: Yeah, the McCoy-Spock thing, they loathe each other and can't stand being around each other. And there's like, the interactions are explicitly racist and dons with Kirk and Spock are not much better. He's less explicitly racist. Yeah, it's,
0: it's more of a more subtle there. Though I, I will say that over the course of the series, uh, McCoy does mellow out, but still there's a bit of sting there. So
1: again, it really depends on the mm-hmm. episode. Like, oh. like sometimes he's not doing it at all. And sometimes it's the core of the episode. And sometimes he uses it to solve the puzzle of what's going on.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess the, the, bo- the best moments I can say as far as their interactions go is uh, I forget where Joiner was like, yeah, McCoy's like kind of like, yeah, if you go do this, you're going to get yourself killed. So and I, and I don't want that to happen. And Spock's like, I understand or something like that. And it's like, oh, all right. So you know mm. there it, there is an appreciation for Spock for McCoy here, despite all the bluster and awfulness. Um, but, uh, you know, it's sort of very much under the hood as opposed to the explicit sort of, uh, top level stuff.
1: It just makes me feel like friends were a very, very different thing in the sixties.
0: People, uh, cultures do evolve and change over time. And to say that we, uh, you know, how we interact today is a hundred percent how people interacted, you know, even 10, 20 years ago is, uh, a little absurd when you think about it, you know. Even just on the the very small stuff, you know, strip away all the technology and all that as well, and how people just sort of talk to each other is going to change over time. Mm. So, yeah, that might be might be an aspect. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's not a the thing is there's just so little depth in the characters. I think overall, Scotty's probably the only competent person on the entire ship. We've said that several times.
0: I, I think the competency levels go uh, Scotty, Uhura, uh Spock, uh, you know, uh, Chekhov if he's not horny, and then everyone else.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was also weird. So I was, I was just having this conversation. How strange it is. Like The characters aren't super well written most of the time. They aren't very consistently written. Spock's probably the best written character, and then Scotty, because his entire character trait is that he has an accent.
0: (laughs) He has an accent, and so they they get that right, and I guess James Doohan is just like, well, I kind of know how to play Scotty, then, well, I'll just kind of roll with the script, and uh, I'll do my best to be consistent, so it works.
1: (laughs) And then I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, James Doohan's probably one of the better actors on the show. You have Leonard Nimoy, who's an incredibly good actor. James DeWitt is a good actor. And I'm like, well, I didn't like McCoy, but DeForest Kelly is a really good actor. He just wasn't given anything to work with.
0: It's like, all right, you're going to be just kind of belligerent all the time. It's like, well, I can do belligerent, you know, kind of an old Western sort of, you know, uh, actor.
1: I can do that, but is that all? (laughs) So then I was thinking about it, and like, the only bad actor on the show is Shatner. (laughs) And for some reason, he's both. The worst written and characterized character, and the worst actor, and for some reason he gets to headline the show. Did he have dirt on Roddenberry?
0: <laughs> no. You see, he was a white guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, there were a lot of those around. Well, yeah,
0: but he was at the right age too. He wasn't young like <laughs> Chekhov, you, know, uh, uh, you know, you know, like Walter Koenig there, uh, you know, you know, he wasn't you know a little older like you know uh, you know DeForest Kelly he's he's right there in 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 the sweet spot
1: yeah <laughs> he and Nimoy are the same age <laughs> actually almost exactly that's interesting they were only born like 4 days apart that's a little weird <gasps> wait yeah. are they
0: clones of each other that doesn't make any sense never mind
1: No, it doesn't <laughs> not at all not even a little bit
0: <laughs> so uh I guess we also poked a little bit, like, at the, you know, the absurdity of some of the tech and things like that's been absurdly established. And I am kind of amused that there's just so much power creep throughout the series, too, that it's kind of laughable. It's like, you know, early on, it's like Warp 1 is like as fast as we feel like we're safe to go most of the time. And then, you know, suddenly Warp 5 is like, oh, that's... that's we're going, we're going all in to uh, chase these guys down. And then mm. by the end of the series, it's like suddenly we're traveling at warp 10 billion or something like that.
1: Well, this is something that I did kind of appreciate. This show doesn't know how anything works and doesn't yep. care and doesn't think you should and either.
0: To a certain degree, I'm A-okay with that. Because you know? yeah. if what you're trying to do isn't to explain a universe that is, you know is self-consistent, but to tell stories... That's fine, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, like when is the show set? Yeah. No one knows.
0: substarting <laughs> starting like, yeah. when?
1: How far is anything apart? No yeah, one knows. Just, can you explore the entire galaxy? It sounds like it.
0: You, know, you can leave the galaxy randomly, uh, by accident. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot. You can leave the galaxy, <laughs> and
0: you know, the, you know, and there's sometimes a barrier there that that hampers your efforts. Sometimes there's not. Uh, sometimes you get psychic powers. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes there's uh, Cthulhu aliens or like pretending to be humans taking you out of the galaxy, and uh, other times you actually get the uh, you know the, the cosmic horror aliens to help you get back to the galaxy. It's all fine.
1: And I can really respect that, especially with how lore and canon focused everything is mm-hmm. now. Cause there was the, so I saw this thing ages ago. They were criticizing the last season of Game of Thrones, which I stopped watching that show half a season in. So. You know, say what you will with it. but It
0: has its moments, but yeah.
1: They were complaining about how all of a sudden uh, distances stopped being a concern. It's like you used to, like, they used to be like, oh, it'll take us a month to get wherever. Now, episode to episode, they're like all the way across the world. It's like either you're writing, like people are writing these these stories. Like this is decisions that people are making outside of the world of the show. So if you want a character to get from point A to point B, you either say it takes as long as it takes, or you put point A and point B closer together. It doesn't really matter. The character needs to be in one place or another, and whether like if you need them to not get there for a certain amount of time, you're going to do that. But they're going to get there whenever the story dictates they get there. So worrying about this whole well how long does it take to get places and why did the klingon homeworld suddenly wind up so much closer in enterprise than it was in next gen it's like who cares it takes people as long to get places as it takes people it's a story
0: (laughs) you know to try to codify an exact geometry of the galaxy in star trek is a fool's errand don't even bother
1: terry pratchett used to have a thing at the back of all of his books that said, map of the world—you cannot map an
0: imagination. <laughs> there we go. It's like yeah, yeah. We're, for our t- plot today, we're going to say this is so far from here, and you know, and, uh, and then we're good to go. And uh, you know, there's going to be these features somewhere in the world, and they are this sort of position relative to each other. Maybe unless we don't need them to be, in which case we'll change it. So that's fine. So I, I guess to a certain degree, we should basically suggest to folks that if you're going to be super. Out how to shape about star trek canon at any t- point in time maybe just chill
1: see the thing is that i don't think people understand and you can speak to this more because you are an actual writer No, i'm trying to be but <laughs> when you have something like that like it takes you three years to get from earth to wherever that's a limitation that you're setting yourself in the story that you're using to write interesting things around. The limitation is arbitrary. You've just set yourself a rule so that you have to follow it and you can't just magic people around. But it's, it's a challenge for the writer, which usually produces you know, better work in the end, but it's arbitrary.
0: Uh, this actually uh, reminds me a little of a uh, discussion I had with uh, a writer named Mary Elode. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, she has a, a series of uh, sci fi uh, you know, novels that uh, you know, take place in a sort of alternative reality solar system sort of situation. Uh, yeah. And there is, and, and the, the first story is actually very much how it takes time to get you know, between different bodies in the, in the star system. And so, you know part of the plot is that it's like, okay, we're going to be on this journey for so many months. And, you know, we might be in a hurry, but it's still going to take us five months to get there. And hopefully we can figure out our, you know, our plans and things like that well before then. Um, but in the later stories, it's like, yeah, and then we have development of new technology that lets us basically get around that problem. And it just that's how the world works now. And, you know, that's something you can sort of do if you're trying to have this very, you know, you know a consistent sort of structure is to actually have your world change like that. And that's also another option as far as, you know, kind of just hand-waving it away. You know, it's like, okay, if people are going to be concerned about, uh, uh, you know, crazy canon and all all the sort of mathematics of the geometries, then that's one option. But Star Trek just like, eh, we're not going to worry about it. So they don't.
1: I keep getting reminded of this. uh, It's a whole essay that you can find, but I was reading... Uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. It's a really, really good book, and she has a very amazing introductory essay to it that I recommend people find. It's way too long to read on this. paraphrase. (laughs) The gist of it, the piece that I really, really liked, was basically science fiction authors should not concern themselves with extrapolation because that's not what you're there for you're there to write a metaphor about how people are now Mm -hmm. like if you're extrapolating it's boring which is why i've constantly said that in different things and people go like oh look how much this inspired whatever the hell or look how they predicted the rise of smartphones like i don't care they also thought that you'd be eating colorful food cubes like That hasn't happened. You just ignore the stuff that doesn't work out and go, oh, my God. (laughs) it
0: get some things right, but it's not going to get everything right, so don't worry about it.
1: So the central metaphor that Star Trek wanted to be, it wasn't trying to be predictive. It wasn't like, here's how spaceships are going to be. It was, this is the world that we could have if we let go of nationalism and a bunch of other things. The problem is that it didn't turn anything particularly good because uh, it, I don't know, it was like half done. It was, we have people of different nationalities and races all being on the ship and no one cares, which I understand was pretty weird for the time. But everything else was bad.
0: <laughs> it was still very much attached to the general ways of thinking of the time, even as it broke certain uh, aspects of that, you know, bro- you know, broke the, you know, the shackles there. Uh, and uh, was able to push forward on in sort of a new sort of paradigm. You know, you know, you can. I guess to a certain degree, then yeah, you have to sort of you know note, even you know, as far as like current science fiction uh, productions, is that there is going to always be something that is going to attach you to that point in time, and so you, what you create is going to be reflective of that, no matter how hard you try to sort of you know dream of your better world. Because, uh, you know, because because, you know, because Le quite right, because, you know, you are going to be talking about something that you that is very much relevant to that point in time that you are existing in now, if you like it or not, though.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, it's there and you either just let it be like I think Star Trek did. Just like American exceptionalism seeps in the racism seeps in. You just like let it be there and don't pay any attention mm-hmm. to it. Or you actively use it and comment on it. You say, yeah, this is still here, but what does that mean when we, you know, separate it from the world you know so you can actually look at it and examine it? Or you take it and subvert it and go like, this is a show specifically about how the world will be if we do completely get rid of racism. But we have to actually sit down. The thing is, they wanted to write that, but they didn't actually... Take the time to sit down and understand what racism is and how it functions and how it affects society and what it looks like if you remove that. They just said, we're going to have people who are not white on the crew.
0: Which is a good first step, but you need more than that.
1: Yeah, we are done now.
0: Which I guess is once again, kind of this is how the thinking of the time very much was that, you know, oh, just being specifically not horribly racist was good enough as opposed to understanding the underlying dynamics and, you know, the, the problems and, and, you know, the hidden aspects of racism that are not so easily noticed when you got, you know, the, where most of the explicit, you know, visions of it is actually, you know, things like lynchings and, you know, voter suppression and, you know, people being shot in the street because of the color of their skin. This is, you know, this is, there, these you know these very heavily you know overt you know signs of racism do, do make it harder to understand and see the less overt and obvious ones.
1: Yeah, and they were able to get around some of that. And the thing is, they like the weird thing is they they didn't ha- They had a couple of really weirdly racist things in the show, like the whole exchange with Lincoln and Savage Curtain. And they they just, they demonstrate anytime they actually try to talk about it, they demonstrate they don't know what they're talking about. But they usually don't talk about it, which I see the argument for, because if you're saying that this world has evolved beyond racism and everything's just normal, why would anyone comment on it? It's not weird. Uh, Except they're still super racist to
0: anyone who's not human. (laughs) Still that uh, paranoia of the other.
1: Which seems to just... Like, it's just constantly undermining any point they're trying to make, which was so strange.
0: Yeah, You know, the, I guess, maybe sort of, you know, draws a circle around in a weird sort of way of that there is very much different sort of, I guess, try not to say degrees of racism because that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, the the in-group of what you sort of define is, you know, part of your sort of, quote, tribe or whatever does change uh, depending on... The context of the society you're working in, uh, you know, because you know, though it's not not much of a thing anymore, there was a time in the U.S. where you know, if you were say Polish or Irish, there was basically a whole bunch of folks that wanted you to go to hell and leave the country, uh, you know, because it's like, oh, these these foreigners are coming in and moving to our into America and uh, causing all sorts of ruckus. They're bringing crime and disease with them, and you know, this is no good. So we gotta rail against them and uh, tell them to go back to where they come from and say, well, these are like white people. (laughs) And so the, so, and so the people that are mostly focused about, you know, racism as in whites versus, you know, African-Americans and, or, you know, Latinos or anything like that, they, they, they seem to have, there's, this is just sort of the latest incarnation of how, you know, absurd we sort of treat each other, but we keep changing how absurd we treat each other. In order to update to what is bothering us at the time and who can be the scapegoat and who can be you know pu- you know who is the minority that we can put all the blames of our own problems and, and failings on and yeah it just it's it just frustrates me
1: well it's been pointed out the way that the system of racism perpetuates itself is to continuously expand the in-group mm-hmm. whenever some whenever either, either Someone gets too upset, but they're not the like Well, it's not exactly they get too upset. So you have the tiered system. Yeah. The problem is we're running out of tears right now. It's having problems perpetuating itself because the tears are breaking down at the moment, which is why you're getting such a, a strong reaction to everything as we're talking yes. about this. That before you had, you know, your complete in group, you had white people who already lived in America and were the perfect people. Uh,
0: we're specifically Protestants, uh and you know, you know, from you know very specific backgrounds as well.
1: Then you have, you know, let's just for simplicity's sake, say you're getting in your Scottish and your Irish immigrants. Now all of a sudden they're also an outgroup. They're less of an outgroup than your, you know, Latinos, and they're less of an outgroup than your African Americans. Mm-hmm. And then Is when someone in, say, the Irish group says, this is bad, I don't like this, like there's oppression and I'm not getting what I deserve and it's really hard for me. You go, oh, that's because of that Latino guy over there.
0: And so uh,
1: you should go fight them. So
0: instead (laughs) of solving the problems, you, you team up with the people that you're kind of oppressing in order to hurt other groups of people even more.
1: Well, the promise is, and it sometimes gets fulfilled, that if you start hating these other groups as much as we do, maybe you'll get led into the mm-hmm. in group.
0: And that's
1: the system stays who's benefiting from the system migrates over time.
0: Yes. But there's still this motivation to have somebody, you know, being sort of punished just for who they are. And that sucks.
1: Mm. it's an intentional separation so that you can't have class solidarity or other things that would make sense or possibly change anything
0: you know the whole divide and conquer sort of business which i guess kind of you know in 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 the star trek world there uh the latest outgroup is aliens and things like that and uh so maybe there's you know still this dynamic going on here just they're refusing to acknowledge it but it's still there
1: well, yeah, you only have one alien on the ship. The out group, the in group, has expanded to be all of humanity, but you know it's still just all of humanity. You only have one alien on the ship. He's commented on as if that's unusual, and he's even like half human, so you don't even know how the they never tell you how any of this functions, which I think is another weird thing, which is how little this show cares about the world that's not directly on the ship.
0: Yep. <laughs> there's just kind of planets out there, but they're not important unless we're visiting them.
1: Yeah. You get so used to, especially the way people talk about Star Trek. Now you get very, very used to the idea that this ship exists in a consistent, larger universe that we can know things about, but original series doesn't. It's
0: sort of a universe upon itself. There it the ship of the enterprise.
1: Yeah. The ship is like mostly consistent and then anything outside can be anything. And it, really just depends. It's very Buck Rogersy sometimes, especially the early, early stuff. Like, the original pilot was, this is a weird Buck Rogers space knights and slave traders world yes. with this, like, one bastion of capitalism coming in to do Americanizing.
0: I'll, I'll become an Orion trader. It'll be all great and... Uh... So you're going to be a a slaver captain, by What?
1: <laughs> and then you go from that to like the mining, I guess stays consistent. You go from that to like we have an oppressed working class but they can get rich if they risk their lives enough. Mm-hmm. You have con men, you have weird traders, you have some sort of civilian bar system happening on outposts. It's all it's all very random. You're never quite sure what's going on off of this ship indeed is it like is it like the old like the like the Legwen stuff where there's no aliens, all of the planets are just really, really old human colonies there's some aliens, but there's also really old human colonies that no one knows, and no one cares, which i can like I like if they kept that. Like they don't keep the ship consistent enough, they aren't explicit enough with like the ship's the only thing that's consistent, everything else is just whatever we need to tell this story, but as a thing, like I was saying before, like the fact that it's inconsistent doesn't bother me. It's just how weirdly the inconsistency kinda like they they act like they know this, like oh, it's a federation minor or that's allied with the federation it's like but your federation is supposed to be like this bastion of greatness that's like making life better for everyone and you have these weird miners off on an asteroid somewhere almost working themselves to death for a chance at money. That doesn't yeah. make any sense.
0: <laughs> ah, Mud's woman is just such a what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I guess to a certain extent, you know, the it, it is I guess the, I'm going I'm going to go back to one of the pitches is that whole wagon train to the stars where in the, a lot of Westerns and things like that, people kind of had a general idea of the mythology already sort of set up and the, and how it was presented Mm -hmm. on TV and in, you know, literature and other things isn't necessarily connected at all to the realities of the old West, but it is a mostly consistent sort of fantasy That was very well known at the time. And, you know, Star Trek sort of being sort of that, you know, uh, sort of next step, you know, this but in the future, kind of has to both abandon but also try to incorporate some elements of that in order to sort of keep the the audience sort of understanding what the heck's going on. And I guess to a certain degree, it sort of is a disservice, especially for, you know, viewers much later in time that are divorced from that sort of, uh, uh, you know those that that collection of tropes and ideas there, uh. You know, but um, I guess to a certain degree, it also kind of make helps explain some of these weird things that are just kind of happening out there. And yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, of course there's going to be old miners that are going to be uh, risking their lives there because in the old west there is old miners that are risking their lives there for you know to try to strike it rich because that's just what you do in the frontier, I guess.
1: <laughs> that is true. It it's trying to borrow the inbuilt mythology from another thing when it doesn't have its own inbuilt mythology it needs to build Mm -hmm. the mythology but it's not because it's trying to just borrow one that doesn't quite fit (laughs)
0: the the pegs mostly round but there's some some edges still on it they're trying to whittle off (laughs) which i I guess kind of comes you know as far as my own writing and things like that goes is that a lot of what i attempt to do is to sort of diverge quite a bit from how the mythologies are generally accepted, especially in things like Star Trek by sort of setting up basic premises that are uh, almost alien at the first go. But as I sort of expand upon them, you know, sort of have that humanity kind of come into them and, you know, and it might be a weird situation. The dynamics might be very strange uh, and I might be playing with very different tropes, but there's going to be, you're going to be sort of exploring a new sort of space well, you know, Star Trek, they are technically exploring a new set of space here, but they are also, you know, using enough of the you know, familiar terrain for folks that they are going to be, at times, kind of doubling back on stuff that's already been kind of well-tread as far as, you know, stories and ideas.
1: Well, I think overall, I was hoping that we'd be able to have like a wrap-up episode where we can... Go, here's, like, the philosophy of the show and what it was trying to say. And it's so inconsistent, you can't exactly. (laughs) The consistencies that it's trying to do are that humanity can evolve beyond what we are now and better ourselves. Strikingly at odds with humanity can't evolve or better ourselves.
0: It wants to push one thing but is being held back, it seems. Uh, by you know this yeah. is also something that we have assumed and thus we are unable to push forward fully on the point and that kind of sucks honestly but i guess a good try i guess especially given you know the contemporaries i think it obviously
1: was a pretty good go for the series that it was because it did get massively <laughs> popular And it did spawn some other stuff, though. I think if it was just here, if it if they'd left it here with just this series, I don't know if it would have continued like they they did this. They tried to do the animated like they did the animated thing that didn't exactly work. They kept trying to sort of re like get it back and put it in other incarnations. But I don't know if it actually would have continued and turned into like the massive thing that we know it as today if it had been left with just the TV show. I think that the thing that really cemented it, especially given how much actually transitioned between that and Next Generation, which really kind of cemented Star Trek as this like giant cultural, always-has-a-series-running force that we have now, was the movies, which we're going to talk about later. But just briefly, the movies... They came out so much later that the very very basic fundamentals of how you shot film and told a story in this format had changed to the point that they fit what they were trying to do better.
0: Things have kind of evolved by leaps and bounds as far as cinematography, how you characterize people, how you do science fiction in total.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think they brought in... uh, Between this and when the movies came out, we're going to do more of the history later, but like, you had Star Wars, which fundamentally changed how you shot and thought about science fiction movies. You had the American, uh, like the French, I believe it's the French new wave coming into American cinema, which revolutionized how people thought about and did editing and uh, shot composition. So by the time you go from this very... Static. Not a lot is happening. Every now and then, somebody figures out that you can do Dutch angles or zooms, but other than that, nothing really is going on. To like what are blatant two thousand one slash Star Wars ripoffs? Like the just the amount of time that passes between you know this series, which ends in in sixty nine. And then the movies, which start coming out, you know, yeah, 10 years later. <laughs> the the very fundamentals of storytelling in this format have changed. And I do think that they, figu- they finally figured out how to do science fiction on screen in the meantime. Star Trek, the original series is like one of those. Um, so there's this like... There's this like weird era of technology that I just love. It's not really an era of technology, but it's a state of technology. When you you know that you can do something, but you don't quite have what you need to make yes. it work. So you make something that does it, but in such a weird, janky, not really usable way that it's just this strange little holdover device. It's like the pre-typewriter.
0: Or the uh, the data tapes.
1: Yeah, there's a thing. What was it called? Uh I'm I'm really blanking on the name now, but there's this like incredibly early sample-based electronic instrument that every key is connected to a looped magnetic tape. So every time you press the keys, it moves the magnetic tape so that it that's how it plays the <laughs> sample. And the thing breaks itself if you don't use it for too Oops. long. The playheads stick to the tapes and things don't stay tight, like the whole thing is held together with spit yes. and dreams.
0: So you gotta keep playing, otherwise you're gonna lose your your instrument.
1: <laughs> so I think original series Star Trek reminds me of that kind of thing. They had an idea, and I think the the people who wrote the idea weren't the right people, and the way that film was at the time, especially on TV, wasn't in the right place for it. So it's like that. It's it's trying to do aspirational storytelling, drama, sci-fi with a strong moral center, but it didn't quite have what it needed to pull it off yet.
0: So it's we're, we're giving it a go, but we don't have all the tools we need. So we're just gonna make. Which it almost work. makes me appreciate yeah. it more. You know, I I, I guess the, uh, the the term cheesy is, you know wasn't sort of in use at this point, but. Uh, uh, maybe it was, I forget, uh, actually. But, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, they are trying so hard and they're taking it very seriously, even though it's kind of ridiculous what's going on.
1: I think the only problem that I really hit is I'm not at a place when I'm viewing things where I can really just turn off my brain, especially when I'm watching something to do like something like this, where I'm actively going to critique it. So I'm not in a place where I can just turn off my brain and go like, oh, yeah, that's an incredibly horrible sexist message that they're deliberately telling people is right. But, I mean, the acting's funny.
0: Shatters overacting again. Ah. Yeah, and and what he's saying is also awful, too.
1: So it's just kind of that kind of problem. This is not a show for... Like, if you actually seriously sit down and listen to what they're saying, not what they think they're saying... It's an issue.
0: I, I guess in the in the in the to sort of sum up to a certain degree is they tried they tried real hard, but they didn't quite have what they needed to pull it off fully.
1: Well, I think that's probably a good wrap up. And since we don't have a game show, because that doesn't make any I, sense, I give you an award. <laughs> oh, I, I get no. So I'm
0: gonna give Gepwin the. Uh, well, we tried that up. Uh, yeah, tried that uh, award.
1: <laughs> I'm going to give you the "you put up with my bullshit" <laughs> <Excellent>. award <laughs> for almost 90 whole episodes. Yeah. So, all right you you had some like trivia or something to get us off in a lighter yeah, area, a, a right? Little bits
0: here and there, uh, uh like you know some of the stuff like you know who what's people's favorite episodes, that sort of thing. Uh, so I guess what mm. uh, George Decay's favorite episode was?
1: Hmm, is it oh, naked yes. time where he yeah, gets to do so fencing? Is, actually, <laughs> he got to be shirtless <laughs> exactly. and do fencing.
0: Uh, how about Michelle uh, Nichols?
1: Hmm. <laughs> oh, I think I remember that one. Darn! Now I can't remember. Was it, it's not the one where she sings. Might be uh, tribbles. It
0: uh, involves some kissing.
1: Oh, yeah, really? Sure. The uh, well, I guess that was a big deal at the time. Yeah, and uh, the Plato's yeah, and, stepchildren. And, yeah, so, yeah it
0: it's apparently was uh, her favorite uh, episode there. Uh, how about Walter Konings?
1: I'm not sure. I don't know if I could guess that.
0: So, uh, here's a hint. Um, he gets killed during it.
1: Oh, the weird western
0: episode. (laughs) The The one he dies in. Uh, Yeah. uh, I have a couple, uh, for uh, Shatner. uh, uh, Any guesses on the two that are listed as his favorite?
1: I don't know. Which ones did we get to take his shirt off the most? (laughs) Uh, Maybe the... Maybe the... Oh, why am I blanking on the name of that one? The one where he gets to fight Spock da, 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 da. in the arena, uh, that Lacti, might be one. Nope. <laughs> yeah. it. No? One of those weird children one where he got to drag his children on screen? I <laughs>
0: uh, don't think so. I don't think there's any children in either of these, really. All right. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Okay. Uh, and yeah. uh, The Devil in the Dark. Hmm. Is also one. An- some yeah.
1: of the classics. Did he like those before, or did he find out they I were fan favorites
0: first? <laughs> My uh, list here uh, doesn't have uh, a lot of citations as far as uh, these things go. So <laughs> for all I know, these could all be wrong. So uh, let's go for DeForest Kelly's favorite episode.
1: Mm. Oh, I hope it's not that Lights of oh, no. Zatar oh, no. thing. Thankfully not. <laughs> I got to yell a lot. Maybe- but it
0: mm. is season three. Mm.
1: Is it all our yesterdays? Now I can't remember a very McCoy-centric f- no, one.
0: I will say that it does not involve time travel, but it does involve supernova.
1: Wait, what was the other supernova? Now <laughs> I'm blanking on that one. Oh, no, not the tor- weird yep, torture the one. Gempath, Gem, super gem.
0: Yeah, it's like, all right, yeah. Oh, that's no. apparently DeForest Kelly's uh, his favorite episode there. Um, let's go for James Doohan now.
1: Okay, that might be lights like of Zatar. Uh, so you got to do a lot. Uh, not
0: quite. Um, this one is a uh, you know also one of my you know, you know favorites as well. Nope. Tribbles. Nobody <laughs> likes Tribbles. It's, a, it's, it's not. It's one where he does stuff, but he's not a main focus. Uh, and there's uh, the ship's in danger, and there's some uh, transporter action. Well, that's <laughs> most of them. I'll just give it to you. It's uh, uh, the Doomsday Machine. Oh, okay.
1: That one's not too bad.
0: Um, and, uh, Le- uh, uh, Nimoy's, uh, like has a whole bunch of them, uh, listed down. So, uh, if you can get any one of them, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I know his least favorite episode. Yeah. Was Spock's brain. <laughs> that, well, I'm just curious if Galileo seven was on his list. Cause that's the most like Spock centered well, episode of the, the thing I got here. Oh, interesting. So they didn't like the episodes that were written for them?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I'd, I'd say that uh, several of the episodes here, uh, he does play uh, a pretty large role. So,
1: As long as it's not Turnabout, Intruder, nope. or Savage Curtain, <laughs> it's probably good. Actually, he might have liked City on the Edge of Forever. That was a very Spock and Kirk-centered Indeed, episode. that is
0: on the list here. Uh, along with The Naked Time... Journey to Babel, The Devil in the Dark, Amok Time, and This Side of Paradise. Oof, why that? (laughs) You got to act differently, I guess?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. He did get a bunch of the ones everyone likes, so I guess there's that.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, a bonus round is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols has a different answer that she gave for her favorite episode, but it's not the name of an episode. Oh, (laughs) The uh the, 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 the trick is for the, you know, this one is uh you know the, the quote is anytime Uhura got off the bridge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I can only think of like three. City on the edge of forever. She got to be on a set mm-hmm. there. Uh,
0: there was that time she got her mind erased, that was horrific, and uh she was at Sick pay oh, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: also the um the Tholian web. She got to run around because she got scared by oh, yeah. Ghost Kirk.
0: I Forgot about that. So uh, yeah, I, I could give you a uh, you know Roddenberry's list, but it's like know, like fifteen episodes here. So yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the Menagerie Part One and Part Two, the Enemy Within, the uh, Devil of the Dark, uh, City on the Edge of Forever, Buk-tai and Balance of Terror, and so on and so forth. <laughs>
1: Well, if we're doing favorites, we sh- I guess we should just end on that. So what's your, what was your actual so, favorite well, I, of this I actually came mess. up with a, with a
0: list here. So do you want me to, you want me to go with the, oh. the, the bad list or the good list first?
1: Well, let's start with the bad list, I guess. Let's end okay, on a so, positive so note. So
0: just counting down from 10, uh, The Empath, uh, as far as my, my least favorite ones there. Because, uh, you know, torture and kind of weird, dewy, emotional stuff mm-hmm. that's kind of off-putting. Yeah. Uh, nine, muds women kind of for obvious reasons. The the mm-hmm. Omega Gallery, because apparently this is, duplicate Earths is just a thing in this universe, and also this is how apparently future Native Americans are always going to speak. Um, seven, cat's paw, because what the hell? <laughs> uh, six, the apple, because uh, you got uh, primitivism plus, you know, let's just sort of ignore the Prime Directive and, you know, upend this entire society. Um, you know The Paradise Syndrome, sort of similar sort of thing going on there. Uh, Spock's Brain is number four for me. Really dumb, but I was still kind of entertained, so it's not at the bottom of my list.
1: Yeah, it was inoffensive. It was yes. just badly made.
0: Uh, number three, The Alternative Factor, uh, where it's like, okay, this is badly made and not entertaining. <laughs> uh, number two, Elon of Troyes is like, oh, yeah, Kirk's slapping the lady around. That's not cool. Uh, and uh, turnabout intruder, kind of for obvious reasons. Yeah. So that's the depressing list there.
1: I can't think of much that you didn't include.
0: Yeah, there's still some that are kind of close there, or we're just kind of meh uh, overall. Or like, well, there's some good stuff going on here, but there's some really bad elements here too. Um, you know, that, that we're kind of, I guess, close to my list there, but yeah, you know, they didn't quite make it.
1: I think my like full. I think you're like. I don't know. I didn't order anything, but I don't think I have much that wasn't on yours. I think my stand out dislike, like full on dislikes, were like Clone Kirk, oh, yeah, evil uh, Clone the Kirk. Within. Yeah, it's like basically anyone where where they sexually assault someone and then to justify it afterward, which was too yeah, many. of them. I think that
0: them. one would be like my number eleven, though so. close to my list, but you know, just just shy.
1: And then. Obviously, Turnabout Intruder is the worst because it's badly made and promoting a horrible message.
0: That just kind of is awful. Um, let's just pretend that episode didn't end the series, and we'll uh, just you know uh, do it you know ended all our yesterdays.
1: <laughs> yeah, which yeah. still wasn't great. But. It was
0: better though. It's better than Turnabout Intruder. Um, so uh, should, should I move on to my good list? Yeah, why not? All right. So my, you know, you know, once again, because you know, not all of these are going to be. Uh, 100% amazing things forever, but uh, they are the ones that I found myself appreciating more than the rest. Uh, Number 10, uh, Journey to Babel. Uh, Some interesting character stuff going on. Uh, You know, introduction to, like, this is actually a Federation with a bunch of aliens. That was pretty cool. And, you know, sort of, you know, know, maybe not the most well put together plot overall, but still kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, basically the only time it did what you think of as Star Trek. (laughs)
0: uh number nine is the enterprise incident it's like okay there's some you know uh you know uh, you know it's, it's basically spy stuff on star trek and done like halfway decently you know, there's still a few quirky things but overall i thought it was kind of an interesting thing going on number eight the corbonite maneuver where kirk realizes oh maybe i need to think about this in a way other than what i was expected it's all like I'm going to have some character development here, and that's gonna be good. Also, these aliens are kind of spooky. Mm. I think that's uh, the corporate Knight maneuver. I guess is also the ones that kind of stuck with me from like when I was much younger, and it's like, yeah, this episode's like freaking me out, man.
1: Yeah, I could see that if I'd watched it when yeah. I was a kid. <laughs> it's
0: like this is just kind of creepy, and I, I kind of you know, and rewatching that's like it just kind of reminded me of that. And so I guess that it's maybe not you know you know, going to be an objective standard at all but I kind of appreciated having that sort of uh flashbacks to my younger days. Um my number 7 is uh The Trouble with Tribbles because it's just kind of fun. Um the uh number 6 is The Cloud Minders. It's like wow, we're actually like trying to like do a message and it's kind of working for once. <laughs> uh 5 is The City on the Edge of Forever. Uh you know, we've already talked at length about some of the flaws in that but there's still some good stuff going on. Uh number 4 is the Doomsday Machine cuz like I kind of like just like sometimes it's good just to have a random space adventure where it's like okay, we're going to have some, you know, some some people are going to be, you know, reacting to this thing and we have the, the main cast reacting differently to this thing and they're trying to figure out a solution and this is very very Star Trek as far as like sort of the monster of the week sort of, you know, problem of the week sort of thing. Uh which, you know, kind of like there. Um, number three for me is The Devil in the Dark, because uh, it's, it's very much a, once again, kind of a very Star Trek episode where it's like, okay, we got a situation where we don't know what's going on and there's apparently a monster, but, oh, we could actually, like, find the humanity in this very inhuman sort of thing and, you know, come to terms and uh, make peace and be happy and uh, all live together in, uh, in harmony, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's that's And so, good message at the end. Uh, and uh very kind of atmospheric getting up there too so um despite all the kookiness and cheap <laughs> cheap sets <laughs> um my number 2 is balance of terror uh once again still has you know some flaws in it um but is very much a good uh you know submarines in space sort of adventure uh and my number 1 is probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise given you know I, I've gushed about it previously a taste of armageddon and yeah just watch that episode, yeah, you know, or listen to that episode if you want to hear we talk about that. <laughs> so, uh, you got any additions to uh, uh you know, for your for your own good list?
1: Like, I don't think there was anything that you didn't have. I I think that I enjoyed Cloud Minders more as like a number one because they actually like tried to solve things. It was an actual someone's trying to ignore, and we have to talk about what we should do. And it they this was that was one of the episodes where they actually sat down and talked about mm-hmm. stuff for a minute. And that was great. So there were one or two where they actually sat down and discussed whether they should do a thing. That was always like Kurt going, yeah, we should do it and screw anyone who doesn't want to. But
0: it's like, oh, I have to bend everyone to my will. And the cloud binders like, so we should like figure out a plan here. Like, what what do you guys think?
1: (laughs) I think some of the only things were like, I was always a little disappointed and maybe I wasn't just letting myself go and giving it more of a chance on things. I was just too bothered by the inherent sexism in a lot of these episodes. But a lot of the classics that you have, like City on the Edge of Forever and things, like there was just too much of that stuff that bugged me to be able to just get into the episode.
0: And uh, yeah, as I said, you know, a lot of these still have their flaws, like all the sexism. Uh, I guess just sort of in comparison to other episodes of of the series as well given there's just so much sexism that <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, well, this one <laughs> and this one have the sexism, but they have these 15 other things that I do like, but still the sexism. But that does mean that they're doing better than the the one with the two things I like and the 15 things I don't like.
1: That's true. But still, overall, overall, it's, it's, I s- see where it's going. If I didn't know where this show was going, I don't think I would have liked the series overall. It's just too, too much. Like compared to other things, that it's time. I think it's probably one of the better shows. So I see why it resonated with people, but definitely looking at it from a more modern lens, it's just kind of yeah. no.
0: I, I sometimes uh, I watch older episodes of like Doctor Who as well, and uh, sometimes it runs into a similar problem, um, especially you know, on the racial stuff, and uh, it's like. Well, that's not great, uh, but uh, still, I know where the things have taken since then, and uh, can be like, all right, well, I can. This is the warts, and they are going to be slowly removed over time, and hopefully, we can keep uh, keep making things that are better and more more amazing, and uh, you know, using this as a kickoff point. You know, it might be awkward and uncountable at times, but it's still sort of the the root. Of something that is, uh, you know, people still are being entertained by today. And that's that's much less awful.
1: <laughs> it's probably gonna only gonna get better from here. I hope.
0: So uh, I guess as far as like series goes, what are we gonna be covering next, Gepwin?
1: Yeah, so we're gonna have our. Normal little break between seasons. Somewhere in there, we're going to have our intermediary episode where we'll cover a movie or something. We don't have that quite worked out yet, so we're going to take a little time. And then after that, instead of going straight to anything anyone's interested in, we're going to go through the 22 episodes of Star Trek The Animated Series.
0: Holy smokes! You mean there was another... A Star Trek episode that was animated and, like, all cartoony before the, the, the Lower Decks, which just came out a little bit ago?
1: Yeah, which, uh, it's fairly weird. There was an original, yeah, original animated show, which actually chronologically did come out between this and, like, the first movie.
0: And, uh, here's a little bit of the spoilers. Uh There is, uh, a, lo- a lot of, um... Cheap animation. Yeah. Using of I mean, really monsters cheap. But more non humanoid creatures. Um, but also apparently magic works.
1: <laughs> oh. Fun. <laughs> I mean we've hit that in other that that's a thing in next gen. Yeah, so. but I mean like
0: Spock's gonna cast a spell magic spell now, so uh, everyone hold back and stay back.
1: Okay. That's fun. <laughs> we'll get into more later. This this is a series that ran For one-ish year between uh, 1973 and
0: 1974. So technically two seasons, but like the second one's like six episodes or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's only 22 episodes across two seasons. So yeah, it's only six episodes in season two and 16 in season one. So it's going to be a much shorter series than this. uh,
0: We'll probably treat it as just one season and go... Whole uh, all the way through it. Also, other was there was remember correctly half hour episodes.
1: I believe so. Yeah, I actually have never seen a single episode of this. I've seen parodies. I've seen at least one really juvenile parody music video that uses the animation from this show. But other than that, I know absolutely nothing about this except for it supposedly has one of the best written episodes of anything involving original series. At least according yeah, to the I person who that, wrote it.
0: Uh, might be. Even the first episode of the series, too, oddly enough. Is that, it's,
1: it's hmm, one, let's see. That's not the one that it's, I it's heard of. It's the one
0: of. with the uh, Spock time travels and there's the, the Guardian of Forever again.
1: Oh, that's not the one that I heard of. So that could be something to look forward to. Oh,
0: hooray! Hey, you're, no, not, the one that, you're not thinking about the Infinite see. Vulcan, are you?
1: No, I'm okay, thinking <laughs> of How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, oh, which yeah. apparently is in season two. Oh,
0: yeah, I heard that one's pretty good, too. Yeah.
1: But we'll see. I heard a lot of the original series was good.
0: Yeah, so we'll uh, see how that rolls. <laughs>
1: All right, so that's it for original series, and I guess technically season one of Watches of Tomorrow, yes. as far as podcast seasons go, anyway.
0: Yeah. So, um, I I think it's uh, maybe time for me to uh, quote something from uh, Dark City. Shut it down. Shut it down forever. <laughs>
1: Okay, everybody. Thanks for joining us in this little retrospective episode.
0: Wait wait a moment. There's one last Mm -hmm. thing before we go. We off Folly. because we got a question.
1: We got a question? Yes, we got a question. I didn't even see the question.
0: Yes. So uh, uh, Chris Sway asks, uh, regarding the game show portion of the podcast, are contestants taxed on their winnings?
1: Contestants are taxed with their local jurisdiction, and if... If they want to take out, they always have available the full like cash equivalent of any numer of any like prize value they're given, though some of them are kind of abstract, so I don't know what the cash equivalency of some of those would be
0: so sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm going to give them a clue all right what well, how much is that worth in 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 gold press latinum <laughs> but yeah, so that's all the questions we've got, so
1: <laughs> okay. Well, now that that's over, with. <laughs> yeah, nobody wanted to ask anything. But we'll come back later. Like I said, animated series, movie, etc. Thank you for joining us here this week on Watchers of Tomorrow.
0: Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, I don't know, some sort of thing? I don't like You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin, and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix, on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.